Hola, konnichiwa, bonjour, shalom. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Dream Nation podcast. I'm your host, Yulia. And today on the show, I interviewed Daniel Bolelli. He's got a podcast called History on Fire. It's one of my favorite ones. He's a historian. He talks about how to live a hero's life on his show a lot. And there are a lot of characters that we talk about, like Jack Johnson, Crazy Horse, and the Pirate Queen. So lots of really interesting information is going to come up. And uh, my podcast is all about leadership. So naturally, Danielle and I spoke about how to live a hero's life. You know, how to deal with adversity. And we also covered how women are left out of history books a lot. And out of history, as well as art history, too. So that was a really interesting part of the discussion. We have no promos in front of the show today. So let's get right to it. So today on the show, I'm really, really excited to have Daniel from a really great podcast that I super admire called History on Fire. It's probably one of my favorite, favorite podcasts right now. So I'm really excited to have him on the show today. And uh, my first question for Daniel is, what was your dream as a kid? Uh, That's always a good one. Um, I think when you have, I, I don't know, maybe not for everybody, but at least for me, when I was a kid, I did not have just a single specific dreams or probably I had 10,000 of them. But, you know, that's not really what's important. What's important was to me, the kind of human being I wanted to be, regardless of uh, which shape it actually took. To me, ever since I grew up, I never understood why anybody didn't care 125% about hero stories. To me, it's all about, you know, you grow up, you watch movies, you read books, anything. All the great stories have some kind of heroic character. And by heroic, I don't mean, uh, you know, you need to kill the dragon and save the princess. I mean, there's that too. But it's uh, the idea of just living a life with integrity, living a life with dignity, living a life in a way that other people can rely on you, can trust you. Um, That always fascinated me more than anything else. And so growing up, my thing was always, I want to try to figure out how to be the best version of myself that I could possibly be. I'm sure that, you know, at five years old, I, art- I articulated it as uh, I want to be a cool hero or something. But, you know, it, once you dig a little deeper, that's really what it's about to me. It's like, how can I figure out how to become the person I really want to be? Your History on Fire podcast often deals with diversity and adversity and mm-hmm. I, I love it because it's focused on heroes you profile warriors since you're a warrior yourself and um uh what advice do you have for someone who might be going through hard times i think the thing is we all life is hard there's just no argument about it you know it, it hits every one of us hard sooner or later it gets really heavy for everybody And even people who may not seem they have the biggest problems, sometimes they are still struggling because just the existential conditions of life are pretty tough. So there's no escaping that. That's just an everybody thing. You know, doesn't matter if you are the toughest guy on the planet or some sweet housewife, uh, you're still struggling with the same kind of conflict. So to me, learning how to deal with conflict, learning how to deal with oneself, because, you know, one of the things that keep us away from becoming who we want to be is that we become self-indulgent, start making excuses. We start coming up with 3,000 reasons why I don't have the time or the energy to 
be the person I want or yes, you know, I would like to be that way, but conditions out there are not allowing it. It's it's not that it's not true. I'm sure there are 10,000 reasons why, but the point is that still can't be the reason for stopping. My approach to difficulties, and I'm talking about my approach when I'm in, when I manage to tackle in a good way, because some days I'm just as lost as anybody else. Like on the good days, I feel that nothing I can do ultimately, I cannot control things, you know, bad things will happen regardless, whether I like it or not. There's a very limited amount that as a human beings we do get to control. And so acknowledging that, realizing that, yes, this is how it is. Yes, probably things are going to turn ugly. Yes, I will experience a lot of heartbreak and loss. And in a way, coming to a place where you accept it, and you say, yep, these are the cards that I will be given. That just, there's no escaping it. But what can I do in the meantime? You know, yes, I'm not going to escape heartbreak. I'm not going to escape defeat. I'm not going to escape loss. I'm not going to escape failure. None of those things I will be able to stay away from. How do I want to live through those things? What can I do? How can I become as good a human being as I possibly can? And how can I have as much fun as I possibly can while all all problems are hitting me hard? That to me is the challenge. It's not that, you know, we'll come to a place where everything is going to be miraculously wonderful and problems will not take us down anymore. It's how to find out, how to find a way to be happy in the middle of all the drama. The keyword there is fun. In my own life, I will always have these massive challenges, you know, whether it's sickness, whether it's work. And those things are going to happen. The only thing that I can control is fun and happiness. And it's finding these little micro moments of happiness, these little like micro doses of happiness that will get me through the hard times. Absolutely. That will keep me vibrating very high, even though I'm in a very low place. I can't let the dark place suck me in. Mm -hmm. Even though it's like it's sucking me in. It's about keeping your vibration really high. And um, actually, today I'm sitting down to listen to your episode on Jack Johnson, who I love. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was the first black heavyweight champion, and he overcame adversity multiple times. How did you come across his story? And uh, what, Um, you know, how did you start getting into it? If I remember correctly, the first time I heard of Jack Johnson was, um, I believe I watched a Ken Burns documentary called uh, Unforgivable Blackness. Very good documentary. Really, really cool. I love the story. Uh, Didn't really think I could add much to it because the documentary was very well done. But as is often is the case, then when you start looking a little deeper into the stories, you find out new things, you can add your own uh, insights on it. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, there's, there's something for me to play with here. But yeah, it's such an amazing story because it's somebody who at the end of the 1800s and into the early 1900s in a cultural environment that was brutally harsh um, when it came to ethnicity, racism, and everything else, found a way to literally and figuratively smile through 
all the hate that was thrown his way, through all the obstacles that were put in his path, through all the super high level of racism that he ran into, Jack Johnson's response to it all was always to do his own thing and somehow find a way to smile. It's true, right? And the and I feel like people don't want to see success and people resent success because they don't have success. Mm-hmm. And they want to bring you down. And um, and I think that's what's really interesting in a lot of your podcasts, too. Like, I, one of my heroes is Crazy Horse. I love Crazy Horse. And that's that's also the story of Crazy Horse, of how sometimes, you know, your success makes people jealous. And um, it oh, turns yeah. them against you. And, uh, did you get to check out uh, those episodes of History on Fire, the Crazy Horse series? I did. I was actually, um, I was actually driving to Standing Rock last year. I flew out to the West mm-hmm. Coast, and um, I drove from the West Coast to Standing Rock around Christmas to go protest. But then um, it was actually too dangerous, and it was negative twenty degrees, and we started making our way over there, <laughs> and, and we heard there were all these blockades of men with yeah. shotguns preventing people from coming into Standing Rock. Because I was coming in to do a podcast, and um, so we turned around, but um, we ended up going to the Crazy Horse Monument on the way, and uh, we listened to your podcast while driving through the monument, and it was just such an experience to drive through the monument and then hear the story through your podcast it was like it was an experience that i will never have again like you should probably start charging for that experience because it was amazing (laughs) it was such a really great interactive tour and that's where that's where i really came upon your podcast and i've been hooked ever since perfect setting black hills are beautiful oh they're beautiful and um oh gosh the whole story is so incredible and um uh, you know, I was going to ask you the next question, which kind of leads into it. How does one overcome fear to achieve ultimate freedom? We all have fear, right? Oh, yeah. We, of course, I'm going to I'm gonna give you an answer. That doesn't mean that I practice it on a regular basis <laughs> because it's a lot easier said than done. Um, I think to a large degree, fear comes from attachment comes from wanting things to turn out a different way than the way they are heading. You know, you're afraid that something bad is going to happen. In some way, acceptance that something bad will happen and you can control it is step one to get rid of fear. Because, you know, a lot of fear is driven by we want the outcome. We We want a certain outcome and we're afraid that a different outcome will materialize. And understanding that tough luck. You know, there's really not a whole lot that you can do about it. But how how do I live anyway? You know, there's uh, the Lakota battle cry, the whole idea of today is a good day to die. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's not that you enter battle with the idea, I want to die. You know, nobody does. But the point is, once you enter battle, as good as a warrior one may be, you may still get killed. That's just life. That's just how it goes. So the acceptance that that may happen, and even to some degree embracing the notion of, hey, if this is the day, I'm going to go out and make it a good day. I'm going to go out and fight to the best of what I got until I get killed. There's something powerful there, and that to some degree to me is what get rid of fear, is uh, accepting that the worst possible outcome may be become reality. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, way easier said than done. When I am able to do that, yes, then fear tends to disappear. More often than not, I am not able to do that. And it's funny because the, um, the worse your life is going, the easier it is to get to that place because you feel like you don't have a whole lot to lose. So it's a little easier to come to a place of just saying, okay, here I am. It's fine. Whereas when you when you are having good things in life, when you are enjoying, when you are, you want those things to last forever. So it's a lot harder to be able to be fearless when life is good as opposed to when life is tough. Yeah, that's so, that's so powerful, right? Like if you're comfortable, you're never going to be fearless. Mm-hmm. Because um, I'm having fun, you know, I want stuff to last forever. I want all the good people I like to live forever. I want, you know, and then I'm afraid that things are gonna, things will change and it's not gonna be so enjoyable. Um, whereas when we are dealing with really harsh things, it's a lot easier to just live in the moment because, you know, the basically you have no future and life is tough that way. And it's a lot, a lot easier to find strength in difficult circumstances than it is when things are going well. It's true. Um, I'm actually trying to think of how to transition to my next question, which is, I guess, about philosophy, right? So you grew up and um, your father was a philosopher mm -hmm. and, uh, and you majored in philosophy, I believe, as well. And uh, am I correct on that? You're... No, I didn't, but to me, it's all the same. <laughs> like uh, whether, you know, I did uh, in college, I guess I study anthropology, but to me, it's like all those fields were like, you know, we are really dividing up knowledge in these tiny little separate fields. To me, it's all the same thing. It's all about how to live a meaningful life, whether you want to call it, you know, it doesn't matter how we get there. Uh, they are all, that's why. You know, I taught in a bunch of different departments that have little to do with one another because to me the unifying principles are the same. So let's call it philosophy, let's call it anything else. It's it's about life. It is about life. And I know that you are a fan of um, Iku Sojun. Actually, I never know mm -hmm. how to pronounce it, but I think, it, I think it's Iku, right? Yeah, I'm taking a guess too. I'm not sure. I think it's Iku Sojun. <laughs> And uh, he was a really eccentric Zen master who taught that passion would be the road to enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would love it if you, sometime in the future, you could do a podcast on him because he was such an enigmatic character. And uh, he was a rebel. And that's what I, I really like about his story is um, he went against the teachings. He rejected enlightenment when he had a chance to be given the enlightenment certificate. And, uh, yeah. he, and uh, he hung out with poor people and prostitutes, kind of like Jesus. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, like, like, let's just admit that hanging out with poor people and prostitutes is way more fun than any fancy party one can ever <laughs> go to. So, you know, uh, and, uh, and he was a really interesting a Zen master who kind of became a vagabond and he traveled the world and he had a lot of female lovers and he used that as a meditation and he's just, he's just a really crazy cat and I really like him a lot. And um, I wanted to ask you about some of the lessons that you've learned from him. Well, along the things that we were saying a little bit ago, there's a great EQ line where he says, throw me into hell and I'll find a way to enjoy it. 
And I love that, right? That's exactly what we are saying. It's like, you know, there's not much I can do about being thrown into hell. Those are existential conditions of life. Sometimes it does happen. But what I can try to do is figure out a way to make it good anyway. And good being a relative term, of course, because, you know, there are certain things that you don't make good. They are awful. But to still find a way to smile, to still find a way to, as you put it, find those micro moments of uh, happiness that you carve out for yourself, that little, you know, that's a beautiful attitude. And I think Kiki in general, one thing I like a lot about him is the tendency not to separate between the so-called sacred and so-called profane, you know, to view life as unified whole. And that if you leave it with awareness, if you leave it with uh, full presence, spirituality is not something out there that you have to, you know, just meditate in the mountains. That's real spirituality. Spirituality is really just even just day-to-day life lived with full awareness. And uh, I like that a lot about him. He seemed to not force us into that choice where we have to choose between uh, a more meaningful life, um, something that some people would call spirituality, and the pleasures of everyday life. To him, they can be part of the same thing. I know that you also do MMA fighting too, and you studied Kung Fu. I do Wing Chun from time to time. I haven't done it in probably a year. I really miss it. And I wanted to talk to you about how learning martial arts led you to a renunciation of violence. Well, I think there's a Nietzsche line that right now I'm forgetting the exact wording, but basically what he's saying is I don't, people who call themselves good just because they have no clothes, uh, he's not buying it. His <laughs> idea is, you know, it, in order to say no to something, you probably need to be able to do it in the first place. You know, that's kind of what. So to me, the idea, uh, martial art really is about conflict in the most primal way possible. You know, something like physical conflict, something like violence is a language that everybody understands. As long as you have a body, you get it. You know, you understand now that which is why it's a universal language. So learning how to come to terms with it, learning how to deal with the fear that goes along with the prospect of a violent physical encounter, learning how to realize how you respond to these things and how you could respond better is really a skill that's not really just about the physical skill. It's really about what it does to your brain in terms of uh, self-confidence, in terms of knowing yourself. And so I find martial art practice, first and foremost, being an excellent tool for mental health, personally. I think a lot of young kids should automatically learn martial arts in school because it helps you focus. Yeah, And uh, it's such a great life skill, especially as a woman. It is just something Mm -hmm. that I think think meditation and uh, mixed martial arts should really be taught in schools. I, I yep. would love to create a school that um, that does that one day. And um, yep. I also see that you were at UCLA studying Native American studies. How mm-hmm. did you become interested in Native American studies? You you grew up in Italy, correct? Yeah, I did. For some reason, I don't remember what was the specific incident that triggered it, but something from what I hear, I mean, what my parents tell me, 
from the time I was two, I don't know if I saw a book, an illustration in a book, or what was it, but I saw something uh, native-related, and I was uh, super interested from that day forward. And so it never, because it happened so early in my life, it never felt like a choice, like one day I decided, oh, I'm going to really get into this thing. It was kind of something that I was always drawn to from probably before I could put it into words. So I really don't know why. It just seemed like the most natural thing in the world to me. But of course, yeah, as you say, you know, somebody who grew up in Italy, why it's not necessarily the most natural thing. So I'm, I'm not really sure why that is. That's interesting. Um, I was actually, you know, I just came up with a different question right now as well. I was going to ask you, um, I would love to see more women profiled on the show too. Like I love the episode on uh, the Pirate Queen. Like her mm-hmm. story, her story was incredible. And she's been a hero of mine for forever. I think I read about her story maybe like 10 years ago. And I was like, how come they don't teach about her in school? Yep. She led an army. She was incredible. Um, you know, what podcast do you have coming up that listeners might be interested in hearing about? As far as uh, what you said regarding more female-centered leads, um, I agree with you. And the problem is that the way history has been written, the way it has been recorded, overwhelmingly, the vast majority of stories that you read about are about men. And not, of course, because women didn't do some cool things, but because really when you dig in the historical record, there are way less important characters that people have written about who are women. And out of those, I mean, even the Pirate Queen episode, I really wanted to do it, but sources were so thin. And it was crazy because this lady led the the biggest pirate confederacy in history in the early 1800s in China. So literate society relatively recently, there should be evidence everywhere. And yet there was enough evidence to tell a story, but not really as much as you would think about somebody like that. And that's kind of what I've struggled with, that I run into a lot of great stories involving women, and they are usually incredibly thin source-wise. So, you know, I can talk about them for 15 minutes, and then <laughs> I, I have nothing left to say, because there's nothing in the historical record that allow me to go forward. So I, I do want to, like, one that I want to tackle sometime soon in 2018, uh, for sure. I want to I wanna cover the Joan of Arc story. Because there's so much about her, you know, the, she's such a wild character and there's so much evidence. Um, so I definitely want to tackle that one topic. But yes, I have been struggling with it because there are lots of interesting ladies that I've heard of. The problem is that when I dig in, I run into a wall. The sources tend to be really, 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 really thin about them. Yeah. And uh, that has been the problem. That is the biggest problem across history books is that women are either written out of history or they're mm-hmm. just not included. Um, whether it's female artists, you know, you have yep. a few female artists, um, you know, contemporary ones, but even female artists in the Middle Ages and during the Renaissance, um, female artists are completely taken out of the story, the story that we tell ourselves as a society. I just helped create the Hedy Lamar Memorial in Vienna with Susan Sarandon's production team last year. I helped them fundraise and Hedy Lamar has been my personal hero forever. I read about her story when I was 15 years old and I kind of made it my life mission to tell the world about Hedy Lamar because she, she worked with technology and frequency hopping and she helped battle the Nazis 
uh, she mm-hmm. developed all these plans to stop the Nazis while she was working um, as a Hollywood movie star. I mean, like, you can't write this stuff. It's so wild. And she was so brilliant. And nobody took her seriously because she was really pretty. And mm-hmm. um, it's just how society treats people, right? Like, what stories we get to tell as a society. Oh, you know who I love? This is what I was going to say. I remembered it. I love the story of Queen Hatshepsut. But I don't know how much information is on there. She ruled uh, Egypt as a queen, mm-hmm. and she yeah. and then she ruled it as a king. And she's been such an enigmatic character. I think she was the mother of um, King Tut too. And it's just so nobody really knows her story. And I think that's the problem that overwhelmingly history has been uh, history of warfare. The vast majority of books on history tend to deal with warfare. And uh, while there have obviously have been some women warrior who played a big role in some conflicts, percentage-wise, not as much. And so inevitably what you have is a record, never mind the fact that most of the people writing down things were men writing it from a male standpoint. So really you find that female stories tend to be side notes on the main story a lot of the time and it's really unfortunate and it's terrible but that's still the way it is which is why it makes it tricky you know i'm always looking for great female stories and um, i'm very much looking forward to finding ways to incorporate them in more so you know which leads me to my second to last question which is what is your advice for people to create social impact in the world, right? Like, how can everybody try to be a hero on a daily basis? You know, I think it starts with empathy. I think being able to help people in, like, the tiniest of ways. Mm -hmm. For me, it's stopping in the grocery store when I see somebody drop a bag and just, like, taking the time, no matter how busy I am, to actually help the human being put those things on a shelf. You're right. And I think that's where kindness goes a really long way. And it's hard sometimes because you're cranky, you're in a bad mood, you're frustrated. There are 10,000 reasons why you feel that you are owed something in that moment because the universe has not been particularly pleasant to you. So you feel like, hey, what about me? What about my turn? I need something nice to happen to me. I don't have the energy to give to somebody else. And that's completely legitimate feeling, but that never leads to anything good because that's what everybody else is feeling as well. So to have in some way that to me is a strength, to have that strength to be kind when sometimes life is not, is uh, is it. It's where it's at. You know, it's where you can uh, make a meaningful difference in, somebody de- in somebody's day without having to go through a macro level of trying to change the world out there, which is good luck. You know, you're one human being. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, but to do it in your immediate environment, that's something powerful right there. And I think it's, uh, the beauty of it is that there are opportunities for that every single day with every single one of your interactions with people. So there's plenty of opportunities. It's really just a matter of making it a priority and making it happen. Yeah, and I think it's about convincing your friends to do it too. And then your friends convincing mm-hmm. other people. So I think it creates a ripple effect. You know, if I and if I lead by example, and then other people will see that and hopefully join, you know, 
because yep. that, that's the that's the only way the change can happen for one person and it's like it's like i want to spread kindness as a virus <laughs> mm-hmm. i like that you know just just make everybody kind uh so uh um what is your dream as an adult if i can add to what you're saying yeah, i think yes. too often when we hear kindness people picture some uh soft uh, sweet that's nice but kind of like this uh, almost weak there's somehow in there's this association in people's mind that kindness equal uh, um, this sweet nice kind of harmless weak person to me kindness it goes hand in hand with ultimate strength because it's uh, it takes a lot of strength to be kind in an unkind world sometime and so kindness is not the answer of somebody who uh, doesn't have the guts to do the hard stuff. Kindness to me is the answer of somebody who is exactly doing the hard stuff. Because uh, while kindness may be its own reward, it's not necessarily easy to break away from that cycle of uh, frustration and letting your own weaknesses take you down and making you bitter and all of that stuff. So to me, kindness is both proof of wisdom and proof of strength uh, both of those things are found in kindness that's beautiful i have a quote that i say and i use it all the time i say do not mistake my kindness for a weakness mm-hmm. absolutely because that's what often it happens often when we think kindness is like oh that's sweet soft uh, whatever you know mm-hmm. whereas in reality kindness to me is as powerful and tough as a force as uh, as one can master yeah i think it's true i think there needs to be a new religion just teaching kindness like if everybody just started believing in this religion where like everybody just practiced kindness which leads me to your book that people can pick up you also wrote a book on how to make your own religion mm-hmm. so uh, that's a really great book that they can check out on your website and uh, my final question to you is, what is your dream as an adult? I don't think it has really changed dramatically in terms of the substance of it all. I still want to live the most meaningful life I can possibly have and have as much of a positive impact on the people close to me. That's the big picture. The specifics, they may change all the time. But uh, I guess if we want to get into it, one thing that I would really, really like to do more in the future is write more. I've written four books, but I've never written fiction. And I realized that a lot of what I enjoy doing, what I do well is telling stories. So I want to write some uh, fiction books in the future. That would be that would be a whole lot of fun for me. Do you know the topics that you're going to write about? Or is it a secret? Or... Yeah, I mean, I have some, uh, I would like to start probably doing historical fiction. So, for example, some of, like, you know, I did a two-part series on the podcast about Caravaggio. I would love to have uh, Caravaggio historical fiction. That would be a lot of fun to me. There are three gazillion others that I've taken notes for, but I think that would be step one. Oh, that'd be really fun. I love Caravaggio. I, I love art. And uh, art history is so fascinating as well. You know, talking about women written out of history books as well, especially art history. So where can the listeners check out um, all your info and get in touch if they have any questions and buy books and listen to your podcast? Sure. So my name is like Daniel with an E at the end, Daniele. So D-A-N-I-E-L-E. My last name, Bolelli, B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Again, B-O-L-E-L-L-I. 
the gods of Google will be good to you. So if you just type it into Google, if you type my name, all the various websites will pop up where there's my email and Facebook and Twitter and you name it, you know, the History on Fire podcast website and all the other good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're really busy. And um, of course, thank you for having me. Thank you. And uh, yeah, you know, let's change the world. Okay. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.